You are listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on World Mission Sunday, February 16th, 2020. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, what do you think of when you think of the word mission? Being Mission Sunday, I'm sure the first thing that jumps to your mind is missionaries and global mission. But outside of church, uh, if you weren't sitting in this room right now, if you were just out on the streets, when the word mission comes up, what do you think of? Uh, I've been driving up and down Blending Boulevard for a number of years now, and I keep passing Mission Barbecue, um, which is, you know, down at the end of, not the end of Blending, but, you know, where Blending meets uh, 295. And I I was passing it over and over again thinking, oh, wow, that's cool. That must be like a a Christian barbecue restaurant uh, because they have the word mission in it. You know, I'm thinking like a pastor here. Um, And then a few weeks ago, I was driving on a different road on 220, and uh, a large military vehicle pulled up next to me and then blasted past me going down. And it said on the side, Mission Barbecue. And I, I realized that there was a different word, mission, that was going on here. Uh, so we use the word mission in a lot of different ways. Uh, we think about it in terms of military missions. We think about it um, in terms of other things as well. But at its core, the word mission uh, has to do with being sent. Uh, and sent with a purpose. So when you think about a military operation, a mission, uh, there is an objective that they are to accomplish and they go and they fulfill that objective and they return or hopefully they fulfill their objective. Uh, And the same is true in the church. When we go on mission, we are sent. Um, In fact, the the word mass, that if you were Catholic, uh, you, you would think of this service as mass, Um, Some Anglicans refer to this service as Mass. Um, The reason is because in Latin, the words at the very end of the service, the words that Deacon Stephen would say as as you are sent out into the world to do the mission of God, uh, was missio. Uh, And so misa, uh, the Mass is ended, misa, uh, go. And that's the way it is even now. When we finish the service today, Deacon Stephen is going to send us out because we are going into the world on mission. God is a mission, missionary. He's a missionary God. And all mission is first and foremost God's mission. In Latin, we call this the missio dei, or the mission of God. And we can see this right in our own gospel lesson this morning. We see Jesus in this passage. And here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
So Jesus is God on mission. We see evidence of the mission of God all the way back in the first moments after the fall. When we hear the first promise that God uh, will send a promised son who will redeem the world and fix everything that was broken. We see the mission of God in the way he interacts with Abraham. We see the mission of God in the creation of the nation of Israel. We see the mission of God in King David. We see the mission of God in all of these people throughout the Old Testament until God himself comes into the world on mission to save the world from sin. God has a heart to seek and save the lost. And it's that heart that we celebrate today. But why go on mission in the first place? Well, because God is a missionary God and we are made in his image, he sends us to participate in the work that he's doing in the world. But we look uh, even more so at God's own motive for mission, which is to become our motive for mission. If we continue one more verse in the gospel today, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. What does it mean for the crowd to be harassed and helpless? First of all, I think harassed has to do with Satan, the great harasser. If you think of Satan's actual name, when you translate it literally in Hebrew, it means the accuser. Satan's job is to accuse us before God and to accuse us before ourselves, whispering in our ears saying, you're not good enough. God couldn't really love you. God doesn't really love you. God's keeping good things from you. You have so much sin in your life, there's no way that you could ever be loved by God. That's what it means to be harassed. And I think Jesus was seeing that in the midst of this crowd. Those are all lies from the enemy because Satan is the king of all liars. So if you've ever heard those voices, just shut them out because that's not the truth. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So this crowd was harassed and they were helpless. What does it mean for them to be helpless? It means the same thing as us who are helpless. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do that can dig us out of the pit of sin that we've all dug ourselves into. There's nothing we can do. We're helpless. It's like we're tied up in chains and bound. We can't break free. We can't do anything about it. We're just stuck. And so Jesus sees this crowd that's harassed by Satan and helpless, powerless to save themselves, and he has compassion on them. Compassion. I want you to take a look at that handout that I had Mike uh, send around this morning. This is a, a 2020, January 2020 updated set of statistics on the status of world mission today. Um, and it comes from, uh, from two perspectives, one by people group and one by individuals. But if you look, you'll see that there is a large portion of the world that has never heard the gospel and has never had access to a missionary, has never had access to a church, has never had access even to a small portion of the scriptures in their own language. If you look at uh, the country of India, there are 2,718 total people groups, and of them, 2,445 are completely unreached. 
In Pakistan, something similar, 509 people groups and 502 of them are completely unreached. In India, the total population uh, or the total number of people groups is 90% of the people groups have never heard the gospel, never had access to the scriptures, don't have a church that could possibly reach them. If you look a little bit further, further you see uh, a little picture of the world and it says the 1040 window. And when you think about unreached people groups, think about the 1040 window. Uh, it's not having to do with 1040 in the morning, according to your, your watch. It has to do with latitude uh, on the global map. And so from, from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees south latitude, that is the 1040 window. And you see a box drawn across the 1040 window. That is the area of the world that is least reached. That is where most of the unreached people group in the world live. Going to the other side by individuals, 10% uh, of the total global population are committed Christ followers. 23% of the total global population beyond that 10% are nominal adherents of Christianity. That means uh, if you said, what religion are you? They would say, I'm a Christian. But if you say, how do you live that out? They don't go to church for the most part, or maybe just Christmas and Easter. They, um, they have very little understanding of the gospel. They're Christian. The word nominal means Christian in name only. Nominal means name. Uh, so Christian in name only. But then beyond that, 39% of the global population has heard the gospel but not responded. And a further 28% has virtually no exposure to the gospel. That's a little bit more than a quarter of the world's population has never had access to the Bible, to a missionary, to a church, never had any opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. What do we do with that? Well, hopefully we have compassion. Hopefully our heart breaks for those people around the world who have never had access to the gospel, had never had an opportunity to respond and to be saved. People without Jesus in their lives are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. We follow him. We know the blessing of what it means to have the good shepherd watching out for us and leading us and guiding us. But imagine life without the good shepherd. Imagine what it would be like. Imagine being in a culture completely devoid of the good shepherd. Not that Jesus isn't there, because I think God is working and moving in those cultures in ways we can't even see or understand. But they haven't responded to the gospel because they haven't heard the gospel. They're harassed and helpless, and they will spend eternity apart from God, who is the only true way, truth, and life. This is a fact that should make our hearts break. God's heart is broken for the lost, and we engage in mission, God's mission, because our hearts are broken for them too. We have compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And so all mission, God's mission, is born out of compassion. So again, what do we do about it? Well, first of all, we see an instruction from Jesus, again, from our gospel reading today. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
By harvest here, we mean souls who are ready to be harvested for the gospel, souls who are ready to hear and respond to the message of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Do you believe this? Sometimes we get stuck in a false narrative of demise, which suggests that the church is dying and the culture has moved beyond Christianity. I recently heard uh, that the the church has approximately uh, 27 Easter's left because Christianity is declining and 27 Easter's from now, nobody's gonna be celebrating Easter and the church will be dead. I'm glad you're laughing because that's a false narrative. It's just not true. But we have all these false narratives about the demise of Christianity, both in our culture and around the world, the rise of Islam on a global scale. And it's just not true. Well, Islam is on the rise, but Christianity is on the rise as well. God is on the move. God is on mission. And he is accomplishing great things even today for the gospel. Are there challenges to the spread of the gospel? Well, certainly. But don't let the challenges discourage us from the great opportunities. If you think about our own culture, receptivity to the church is much higher than we would have thought according to Rick Richardson, who's a, a, uh, he comes from the Billy Graham Center, wrote a really great book called You Found Me, um, with statistical and interview research about people who are lost and how they are coming to be found. And so he says, receptivity to the church is much higher than we have often thought or been led to expect. One out of every two people say they would accept an invitation from a friend or a family member to attend church. These are one out of every two unchurched people would accept an invitation from a friend or a family member to attend church. And nearly four out of five are fine with hearing about the faith from their friends if it matters to their friends. So if your friends know that you are convicted about the gospel, that you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they know that that's important to you, four out of five of your friends are going to be okay with you telling them about it. Sometimes my fear is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend someone, that they won't want to hear what I have to say when I start sharing about Jesus. And according to this research, that couldn't be further from the truth. He also says that one out of three unchurched Americans expects to be regularly attending church in the future. Now, are they attending church now? No, they aren't. What would lead them to attend church? probably an invitation from one of their friends or a family member. And so what we see is what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When we look globally, the places where evangelical Christianity is growing the fastest are in places you wouldn't expect it to be growing. The two top places, according to Operation World right now, where the the church is expanding and growing, where Christianity is thriving, are Iran and Afghanistan. Is that what you expected? Mm -mm. Iran and Afghanistan, where 19.6% and 16.7% annual growth is happening in the church, respectively. 19.6% in Iran, 16.7% in Afghanistan. That's remarkable. So lest we think that Christianity is not growing, it's dying, and that Islam is on the rise, these are two strongly Islamic countries where we see tremendous Christian growth. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, especially in that 1040 window. 
most of the world mission resources are going to nations that have already had the church, already had missionaries. But that 1040 window has comparatively very few missionaries and very few resources being sent there. Because people are still receptive to the faith and Christianity is still growing, we can affirm that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus asks us specifically to pray for more laborers for the harvest, to be on our knees, asking the Lord to send more laborers to do the work that needs to be done around the world, both here in our own community, as well as in Iran, Afghanistan, China, Pakistan, India, all these places in the world that have not heard the gospel. The Book of Common Prayer has some wonderful written prayers that you can pray, including in the daily office, we have three prayers for mission that you have as an option uh, to pray at morning prayer each and every day. And there's lots of others in the, the prayers and thanksgiving section towards the back of the, the prayer book. We've been using a prayer for the spirit of evangelism on our Wednesday night studies recently. Uh, but you can also pray in your own words. It doesn't matter whether you use the Book of Common Prayer or your own words. The, the words, the point is to pray every day for more laborers for the harvest. Pray for more laborers. Pray for the lost. Pray for missionaries in the field. Pray for the mission of our own church. Pray every day that God would continue to grow his church, not for our glory, but for his glory. Because what we want to see is more and more people gathered around the throne of God on that last day, singing praises with palm branches in their hand, saying blessing and glory and honor and power be to our God forever and ever. That's what we want to see. It's not about us, it's about him. And as you pray, you may hear the call of God, as did Isaiah. Isaiah was praying, and he has this vision of the Lord in all of his glory with seraphim around him, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips. He recognizes his own sinfulness. And then in verse 8 it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. And then it, it goes on from there. As we pray, our heart becomes closer to God's heart. Our desires become closer to his desires. And you may just find yourself with your heart broken out of compassion for some people group, for some area of our community, for some person who doesn't know the Lord. As you pray, you may hear God say, who will go for us? And you may just find yourself raising your hand and saying, here I am, send me. In the book of Acts, we read this morning, uh, Jesus' instructions to his disciples. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. That's first. We don't want to do this in our own strength. Wait for the Holy Spirit. The entirety of the book of Acts is fueled by the Holy Spirit. All of it. But beyond that, once the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These places are, are kind of like concentric circles. 
Uh, Jerusalem is where the disciples lived. It was their hometown, their city. It was where they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And so Jerusalem was the first place that Jesus mentions because it's where they were. That's local mission, doing mission right in your own community, right here in Clay County. Judea and Samaria uh, are a little bit further away. Judea is, is the, the area, the region that you live in. For Jews, this was uh, all of what we would think of as Israel today, from uh, Galilee in the north down to Gaza in the south. That's uh, Judea, Palestine you might think of. So that's the, the wider region. For us, that might be northeast Florida. You know, like Gainesville to the corner of Georgia, maybe up into, up into Georgia just a little bit. Samaria is within that region, but it's the group of people you would never be caught dead going to see. So think about the people in our own community, the, the places in our own community where you'd be a little afraid to drive your car. The people you wouldn't quite want to associate with. That's what Samaria represents. And then the ends of the earth means the same thing today that it always did. It's everywhere else everywhere beyond our local region. And so God is calling us, just as he called those disciples, to reach into every corner of the world, to every corner of our local community, our region, and to the ends of the earth. Some of these places we can reach easily, even right here in our own community. The food giveaway is a great example of of doing that right here, right where we are. There are other things that we could do in Jacksonville or Northeast Florida that would be pretty easy for us to accomplish or even up into into Georgia. But there are other places that are a little bit harder to get to. It costs a little bit more money to go there. It costs a little bit more to get resources to these places. We need to ask how the Lord wants us to get involved in all of these levels, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen carefully. He may just call you to go. But he may also call you to stay and send, send others into those places. Either way, we're participating in what God is doing all over the world. We're participating in the expansion of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Senders have a very important role to play in world mission. Not everybody can pick up and move their family to India. It's just not gonna happen for everybody. Some, sometimes we have practical stan- circumstances that prevent us from doing it. Sometimes we're just not called to go there. And remember, all mission is God's mission and fueled by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit isn't sending you, if you're going because you just think, well, I could do great things in India, that is the wrong reason to go. That's about glorifying yourself, not about glorifying God, and you will fall flat on your face. So I don't recommend it. But if the Holy Spirit is calling you to go, then by all means, go. But If he's calling you to stay, by all means, be a sender. Participate in the work of global mission in some way. Paul was sent by the churches he served to go into the areas where the gospel had not yet gone. He also called upon upon the worldwide church to collect money for the relief of the saints in Judea who were in trouble. And in Romans, Paul talks about the importance of senders in the work of mission. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Think about, again, that that 1040 window, all those unreached people groups. How are they to call upon him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they going to hear the gospel unless someone goes to them and preaches the gospel to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Because all the preachers, all the missionaries need someone to send them, to support them, to have their back, to be praying for them. How are they going to hear the gospel unless someone sends preachers to bring it to them? William Carey was a a missionary uh, in the 1800s. He came from England, originally Church of England, but later he became a a nonconformist, which is what they called Baptists in those days. Um, So he was a, a Baptist, and he had a heart for mission. He wanted to go to India in particular. He had been thinking about India, praying about India, curious about India, and one day he finally had an opportunity to meet a real live missionary from India. They were having a, a mission meeting to talk about what they could do, and they had heard that this, uh, this man was going to come and uh, speak to them. He was delayed in his arrival, but William Carey answers the door and eagerly asks him all these questions that had been burning within him about what's going on in India and how do we reach these people who haven't heard the gospel. And William Carey began to hear God sending him, telling him to go. And he looked around to the other men in the room. There were four or five of them, friends of his. And he said, metaphorically, I will go down the mine if you will hold the ropes for me. Meaning, I will go to India if you will support me. And in a book about William Carey, it says, each man knew exactly what William meant. If he was to go to India, he would have to be able to count on them 100% to support him. The three men gathered around William and made him a promise. I pledge to support you no matter what happens until the day I die. Each one repeated them in turn. Right then and there, the course of William Carey's life was set. He knew there would be no turning back. William Carey was able to go to India because he was sent. Sent by God, but also sent by other Christians who knew of what he was doing and had the intention to support him and care for him. So too, in our own day, it's important for us to send missionaries to places where we cannot go ourselves. A few years ago, uh, SAMS, which was formerly called the South American Missionary Society, it's one of the, the great Anglican missionary organizations, both in America as well as in the UK, um, they changed their name from the South American Missionary Society, S-A-M-S, to the Society of Anglican Missionaries and Senders, S-A-M-S. Same acronym, they're still SAMs, but the substance underneath what those letters represent has changed significantly. And this was for two reasons. First of all, it was recognizing that they were no longer just focusing on South America. Their mission had expanded into Africa and lots of other places around the world. So it was no longer accurate to say that they were the South American Missionary Society but it was also because they wanted to be not just a society of missionaries, but a society also of senders, recognizing the important work of senders. Because without senders, there are very few missionaries. We need missionaries and senders to do the work of the gospel. The work of senders involves prayer, it involves financial support, and it involves encouragement. Most missionaries send regular updates to help you know what's going on in their lives and their ministries, and this can help you to pray for them. 
All of the, the missionaries that we support do that. And so if you're interested in, in learning more about any one of them in particular, let me know and I can get you onto their email list so you can hear regularly what's going on in their lives and in their missions. So this helps you to pray for them, but you can also encourage them by sending responses to these updates. There's nothing more encouraging than when you send out a prayer request to hear back from someone who says, I'm praying for you, I, I hear what you're saying, and you can do this. God has called you to do this. Um, this is a word I heard from the Lord for you. There's lots of ways that you can encourage these missionaries by responding to their updates. And then finally, it's important also to give, even if it's only a small amount, even if you don't think you can afford a whole lot, even a, a little bit uh, is, a, is an incredible uh, encouragement to those missionaries, and you don't even realize how much that little bit of support can mean to them. As a church, we are growing towards supporting uh, missionaries and mission work with 5% of our budget and the diocese with 5% of our budget. We aren't quite there yet, um, but we're hoping eventually to be tithing as a church to the work of mission. And so if you're interested in getting involved in that, you can get involved in the missions committee, which keeps in touch with the missionaries and uh, assigns the support that's been allocated by the vestry each year in the budget to go to that work. Um, but you can also get involved and support these missionaries directly yourselves, because um, what we're doing as a as church to support missionaries is really uh, a stimulus to expose you all to the work of mission throughout the world and encourage you to get involved in whatever way God might be calling you to get involved. So if, if your heart is, is tingling within you about that, talk to me and I, I'd be happy to get you more information and get you more involved. So I just want to conclude uh, with Jesus' words. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your abundant harvest. We thank you that you always go before us, that your Holy Spirit is working already in the lives of the people you are calling us to reach both here at home and also around the world. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us by your Holy Spirit, that you would show us how it is that you want us to participate and help, how it is that you want us to reach the lost in our own community, and how it is that you want us to reach the lost in the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. We pray that you would break our hearts for the lost, that you would give us compassion for people who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and that you would show us what it is that you want us to do and how it is that you want us to pray. We thank you, Lord, that someone reached each of us with your gospel. Help us to share your gospel with others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.